so Alex, uh, welcome to the journey. So this is Alex Gary, and um, and this is the journey. And the journey is primarily focused on stories of transformation. Individuals who have either have maybe setbacks or had different obstacles in their life, and really trying to capture for for individuals how did they persevere through that? How did they? Um, uh, be able to um, overcome those obstacles, but then more importantly, what were some of the lessons that they learned as they overcame those lessons? And you and I have known each other, actually probably known each other way back when. Since we were the in early 80s. Early right? 80s, yeah. yeah, when we were in high school together. <laughs> yeah. So, um, But uh, before we get started, um, I'm going to first ask you, why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, of, a little bit about yourself and what you're doing right now, and then we'll, we'll kind of go backwards after that. Well, yeah, that's kind of good. The journey is like, uh, you know, continues all the time. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so for people who know me for 22 years, I was in journalism. Yeah. Uh, f- well, 20, yeah. Uh, four years up in Beloit and then 17 with the Register Star. Uh, and then I was year, I was with the Register Star a year before that too. So, um, but then uh, that all ended in 2014 and I started trying a series of different things until I kind of just, I you know, formed my own company. I was working with different companies, and then I just started working more and more with one single company. Sure. And you had had me scheduled to come in a couple months ago, and I messaged you and said I just didn't feel like it was the right time. Right, right. Because that contract, you know, it had taken me a while to build that up, and yeah. I was finally back to a point where I was making what I used to make uh, at the newspaper. Right. And then that contract ended. Okay. Like right at the end of April. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, here we go again. Right? So actually, though, um, having gone through it once, it's like anything. Having gone through something once, it's not nearly as scary the next time around. Right. And this time around, I had um, four, you know, four years of doing a lots of different things for lots of different people. Right. So I have a much better, much more varied resume. Sure. Right. So actually, things are moving along pretty quickly. And I'm pretty confident that uh, um, I, I had a, a really good job interview last week. I've got another one this Wednesday. I've got proposals out to four different school districts on an alumni development idea. And I'm waiting on a, the biggest school district uh, to uh, decide what they want to do, either a staff position or a contract. So all of a sudden, actually for the first time in 10 years, I'm really kind of excited okay. about you know where the road's going to take sure. you. Right, right, right. Okay. Because for a long time, a lot of these last 10 years, it's kind of been, I felt trapped. Yeah. Like trapped in different jobs that weren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, so the journey's finally, you know, I'm finally heading in a good direction. Gotcha. Okay. Well, before we jump too far into different aspects of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what, is, what does Alex love to do? What do you, when you have some downtime, what do, you, what, do you, what do you enjoy most doing? Well, I, I hate sitting around. Yeah. Um, so what I love to do is get outside. I mean, you know, we grew up where uh, at 8 in the morning you'd, get, you'd wake up and you'd either hop on your bike or if you had your license by then get in your car and you'd go play baseball in the morning or basketball or from something. Yeah. Right, and then you'd come back at night at eight o'clock at night. Yeah. I mean, your parents didn't care. You yeah. Know? yeah, it was a different time back then. Uh, I can't really physically do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. yeah. But like this weekend, I umpired uh, for twelve hours yesterday. Oh wow, that's okay. a lot of fun. That's yeah. a good time. Uh, Saturday, I was out playing tennis with Matt Trowbridge, my old colleague. Um, at night, um, you know, one of the things they talk about is like limiting screen time. Yeah. But that's weird for me because at night I'll get on. 
and I'll work on my other side projects, which are a lot of history-based kind of things. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, you're in it, and uh, the person recording our, our podcast here is in sure. it. But a few years ago, um, when I left the paper, I had been doing, even though I was never a sports writer for him, I'd been doing uh, the sports research for him for like 17 years. Okay. So now I've got all this stuff. Sure. And I don't know what to do with it. Sure, yeah. Right? Uh, you know, Matt Trowbridge kept using it and writing about it, which I thought was great, but it, yeah. it was my work. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right? right. So I kind of hit on uh, creating a blog called the Nick 10 History Book. Oh, sure. And yeah. just posting all the all-conference teams, all the records uh, on there. And that thing's got 280,000 page views now. Wow. And, uh, you know, so I, I created a Facebook page for it that's got 560 followers. I got a lot of, you know, and, and because of that, um, a lot of good things else have happened because I've made a hundred dollars on it. Like you know how blogs work—you put AdSense on, sure, it, right. enough people click on it. So I've made like a hundred bucks on yeah. it. Yeah. But because of that, I ended up getting two radio shows. So okay. I do a radio yeah. show Saturday yeah. morning, and I do another one for Andy Roof every couple of weeks. Uh, the Rockford School District hired me to do um, the Rockford Sports Coalition website. It says four thousand dollars a year. Because of that, that led to the bigger opportunity on the alumni yeah. uh, development. Uh, and Harlem had me to do like a research project. Plus, I've just you know met a lot of new friends. Yeah. Like I'll run into somebody and they'll tell me their name, and I'll be like, "Are you a tennis player?" <laughs> and they'll sit there and just their mind will be blown. Yeah. Football and basketball players are used to being remembered. Yeah. Tennis players aren't. Right. right? Cross country stars aren't. Yeah. And it, so if you bring that up now, all of a sudden you've got like a forty five minute conversation <laughs> on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that that's been a lot of fun. And, and so a lot of my a lot of the things I like to do is is around research and sure and looking up things I, you know i would have been a great historian i think mm -hmm. sure yeah now grad you graduated from harlem mm -hmm. right grew up in this area right mm -hmm. your entire life um after high school what'd you do immediately after high school what, what happened? so you know it took me three colleges to get did a, get a degree i went to augustana to play baseball okay but back then the, the baseball stadium was that was where the mississippi and the rock river meet mm. so you would have to like pour a can of off spray on yourself every single day because the mosquitoes are so bad so all of a sudden i'm avoiding practice oh. right so you know you can't <laughs> so i spent one trimester at augustana came back to play baseball at rock valley and then ended up at niu just because you know i just did, really didn't have a lot of direction back then mm -hmm. i just kept going to school out of mm -hmm. habit sure right. and eventually i got myself a degree in political science but in the, at the last second uh, I remembered I'd liked to write. I'd written for the Loves Park Post in high school. Oh, yeah. So then I went back and got a journalism minor in one semester. Okay. And that's so I didn't have a great resume coming out of college. Uh, I was really only in college because it was fun. Sure. I remember I, I got this letter one day. It said, your Pell Grant is, will expire at the end of the next semester. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to pay now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I might start serious. serious. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So my daughter, who's 20 now and worried that she doesn't have a great direction, I'm like, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. It'll be, yeah, it, 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 you'll, you'll figure it out in the end. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you get a political science background, which obviously there, there's, a, there's a part that has some history and some research element mm -hmm. to that. And, and then you you not only write well, but you enjoy writing. Mm -hmm. So those two go go pretty well together. And so that, I mean, will get, can definitely get you um, farther. Yeah. Back then I thought, well, what do you do with it? You either go become a lawyer, right, or, or go join the State Department. I didn't have the grades for either. Yeah, <laughs> so journalism seemed like a better bet. Sure. And, and, and it was fun for a long time. I mean, the, the people I met along the way, uh, I got to meet you know my childhood baseball heroes, Pete Rose and, and Johnny Bench. Mm -hmm. um, 
then as you know, I became a business writer, and I, I got on the editorial board. So I got to meet Barack Obama before when he was running for Senate. Okay. And that's always a great story. He, was, he wasn't, hadn't blown up yet. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was a long shot. So I got to sit, spend an hour with him. Okay. And he didn't come off as a politician. He came off as like a college professor. It was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah. Now, now yeah, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that was... So he was, he was one of uh, eight candidates for Senate. You know, okay. And this was, was what year, do you think? So this would be 2002, I think, right? Okay. Let, me, let me think here. Or 2000. But anyway, he, so he was nobody. Uh, at the point at that time, and he'd already been to Rockford once, and Wally Haas and Chuck Sweeney met with him, so he was making another swing back through, you know, along ninety. So he stopped it again. So Wally Haas comes down and says, "Hey, there's this candidate in for the Senate, uh, Barack Obama." And Chuck and I've already met with him. So can you come and sit in with him? So we have at least a third person, you know, somebody he hasn't met. So yeah, so I sat down with him for an hour, and he just talked about education in Chicago and how we can fix it. Okay. So afterward, Wally said, what do you think? I said, well, he's way too smart to be a politician, right? <laughs> I'd, been, I'd met Rod Blagojevich, who was, you know, about as intelligent. <laughs> he just, you know, he just had nice-looking hair. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, going so that was fun. When, as he blew up, that was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, you, if you remember back to, and maybe you don't remember, but if you do remember, what, what was, what did he think at that time he wanted to do with education? And now that time... What, what, okay, so what was interesting was he said you cannot fix education in Chicago until you fix the culture of education in Chicago because in Chicago public schools, if an African-American boy is caught, at the time, is caught walking around with books in their hands, right? other African-American boys would come and knock them out of their hands and say, quit acting white. Mm. You know, that's, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with Barack Obama. We just, that's, that's, that's the quote I remember him talking, and we just spent the rest of the hour talking about how do you fix that? Because okay. unless you increase education in poorer communities, uh, it's just never going to get better. Right. And okay. so, yeah, had, we didn't talk about politics. Sure. We didn't talk about it. We talked a little basketball because he's a big basketball fan. But that's, that's what I remember about that hour. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and it's interesting that, I mean, he actually was talking about, the problem. I mm-hmm. mean, that that was the that is in the, the essence of the core problem at that time. And and how many times you know do we have conversations like that? We're not talking really about the problem. We're just talking. We're just skimming things. We're just yeah. I was things. used to uh, basically sitting down with politicians and getting the canned talking points. Right. They're going to talk about a certain thing, and they've got a, a message to deliver. Blagojevich was great for that. You know, local politicians are the same way. And and just to sit down and have like an honest conversation with somebody, yeah, yeah, was, was and great. He, and there was no doubt all through his uh, candidacy for presidency, and then through his presidency. I mean, that was one of th- one of his strongest points was his ability to articulate and communicate. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting. So, uh, thinking about that as you're going with uh, as a reporter, other individuals that stand out to you that you that you had an opportunity to meet while you're working for either either up in Beloit or at the Register Star. Anybody else stand out to you like that? Well, a funny story is my my all-time hero baseball player turned his back on me. That was funny. So, you know, we used Beloit to go to sporting events, right? Yeah. That's the nice thing about being a sports writer. Yeah. You get to go to free stuff. I actually got to go to game f- um, I mean, we can zoom way forward. I, I now freelance for the newspaper. Sure. Um, because the paper's gotten smaller and smaller. Yeah. So for game five of the Raptors-Bucks playoff series, I got a media pass okay. to go up there to okay. watch Fred Van Leet play. Sure. But no, a long time ago, I remember I wanted to go see the, the Reds play the Brewers. Although I was born here, I did live five years in Cincinnati, so I became a big Cincinnati Reds fan. So I actually went 
during the year the baseball was going to go on strike, 1994. Okay. And so I used that as a reason to go into the Reds locker room and ask Barry Larkin, my favorite player, um, you know, a question. And sure. apparently he'd been asked it over and over and over again. Same question. Yeah, things. about the strike stuff. So he said, oh. so he basically declined to comment. He turned his back on me. It's like, oh man! I just wanted to explain to him that that is just a reason to meet you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. But I the don't. funny part is, as I'm walking away, Deion Sanders, you know, said, "That's a good question, man." <laughs> so I got to meet Deion Sanders. There you instead. go. <laughs> oh, that's crazy stuff. Well, speaking of Fred, right? So tonight mm-hmm. is at the night when we're taping this. Um, is this will be game five. Uh, five. Game five of the NBA championship mm-hmm. and the Raptors are up uh, three to three to three one. one and uh, Fred's having a, a great series he had a great you know the last last series was great too what um, and you you had mentioned you had interviewed him a handful and and you've known him I mm-hmm. Caleb played uh, they were they were back in the same type of uh, uh, sports league and stuff like that when when they were younger but what um, yeah, what what is for the people that don't know um, Fred as a person they've mm-hmm. seen him on TV they've seen they hear about him all the time and wh- what's what's Fred like I've never I personally have never met him so I don't know uh, he's very soft spoken and he chooses his words carefully okay that's what I've always remembered about him okay uh, I first talked to him back between his junior and senior year when I was still at the newspaper as a business writer and I went down to the sports editor and I said do you, you know is he the best point guard we've ever had and I said I'd like to do a story on that and it, it and back then, whenever I could sneak off out of business and do something sports-related, whatever. But so I ended up talking to a ton of people, and that's the first time I met him, and you know, learn and and there were tons of good stories about him coming up. Uh, since then, I've gotten to speak with him a handful of other times. Like when we see each other, it's a first-name basis, which is kind of cool. Sure. So he remembers people. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah, he's just got his head on straight. He seems he, like a very hardworking guy. Well, to me, he's like the reverse basketball unicorn. They call they call Giannis Antetokounmpo, Giannis, the because um, I can't do his last name, um, a unicorn, right? Because he's seven feet, but he moves like somebody who's six three, right? But if you're seven feet and you have that kind of athleticism, you probably should be in the NBA. Yeah. They did a stat one time: if you're seven feet tall, eighteen percent of people are seven feet tall play in the NBA, right? That you sure. have a natural advantage. Fred is six foot tall, maybe. He says he's six foot, but I have a picture of him and I standing together. And I'm five eleven and a half, and he's maybe a slight. So anyway, six foot tall. So there's very few of those in the NBA. As far as I know, he doesn't have a recorded dunk, either at Wichita State or in the NBA. Right? I think he's the only player in the NBA who doesn't have a dunk. Right? And then I've played at people at the Y who are faster than him, or quicker. Mm-hmm. Right? So and in, in he's a, he's an outstanding athlete, but I've met lots of people who are better athletes, and yet he's in the NBA, and they're all still at the Y. Yeah. So what do you think that? Well, it's 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 his 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 work ethic yeah. and uh, his just knowledge of the game, yeah. and to, so to me he's almost more of a unicorn, to because the NBA and the NFL are the, the sports of physical freaks. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, there's you know baseball you'll find five six five seven guys, but you you know in the NBA and the NFL. Usually, these are people who are just naturally been gifted by God with some natural size or strength or speed. Sure. And and Fred's got some of that, but like, like I said, you, you right now you can go down to the Y right now and you'll find two or three people who have more physical gifts than Fred. Sure. And yet he's in the NBA and they're not. And so to me, that's and for Rockford, that's an even better story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like he's some six ten guy yeah. that should have played in the NBA. He's yeah. no, he's some guy that 
you can you know find on the bike path but he worked himself up to being yeah. one of the 35 best basketball players in the world probably right right you know it's interesting you know when you were just saying that uh i remember watching it's a i don't think it, i don't know if it's on netflix or youtube or wh- wherever i saw it was uh, a documentary called the brady six and it talks about tom brady mm-hmm. being this being um six I think either there was five quarterbacks drafted before him the year he was drafted, or he or there were six before him, whichever right. it was. He was the last quarterback drafted mm-hmm. um, in the NFL that year of of those starters, and well, he is what he is. And right, and a lot of guys you, you read that story all the time. These guys all have that chip on their shoulder, yeah. uh, you know. Um, gosh, who's the little little run, Darren Sproles, little oh. running back for uh, who's yeah. still in the league? Yeah, him and Frank Gore. Yeah. they're thirty six years old. Yeah. And they outlast like twenty five other running backs taken, yeah. and they and they can they can name all those people. Yeah, yeah. You know, there were 60, um, 60 basketball players drafted the year Fred VanVleet was available to be drafted, and he was not. And then, he, but if you go back and look at the stats, he's the eighth best player from that class. Interesting. Now he so he wasn't drafted, Mm-mm. and then he walked out with Toronto, or how did that work? Uh, if you're not drafted, you're a free agent. And oh, okay. So Toronto called him minutes after oh. the draft were over, said. You know, they were regressive and aggressive and said, we think you can make our team and um, we'd like you to sign. Uh-huh. So in a way, it was a good thing for him because he had been drafted by a team that didn't really see anything in him or have a spot for him. They would have cut him. Sure. But instead, Toronto signed him to a contract, put him in the G League, and he was allowed to work his way up. Uh, interesting, interesting. Well, and, and I remember watching him when he was at Wichita State, mm-hmm. and just it seemed very much like that, you know, just the, the work ethic piece of it. And he very much seemed like, and again, I don't know much about basketball, mm-hmm. but it seemed like he was aware of what was going on on the court all the time. Yeah. yeah. We had a really good run of athletes in that from that age level. You know, uh, Dean Lowry's in the NFL, yeah. and I think they're, they played football together as kids. Yeah. That's probably a pretty good team. Yeah. Right. And then Jake Smolinski was, I think, a couple years older. He was a couple years older. But he's made the major leagues in baseball. And then there was uh, Brad, uh, Brad Benjamin, the golfer, yeah. same era, who ended up yeah. playing professional golf. It's like we had this golden era of yeah. athletes. And then we had this that big recession. Yeah. And we really, you know, we lost a lot of families that you know, might have produced that next, next generation yeah. of great athletes. Because he graduated... They're all around. Well, Fred's around 2012. Yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. what I thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. because yeah, because my son graduated in 14, mm-hmm. and um, and there and there were some good athletes that year as well, but not there was there was less that went to that next level. Yeah, that next level of play and stuff like that. So, um, but I think you know it's interesting having all those years coached. You know, I, you know, I went back to Harlem and coached, and one of the things that is not only as a football coach, but then also as a strength conditioning coach. Um, you know, it's always great to have a natural athlete, you know, come up and, you know, you can work with them. But who we would rather have was that individual that may not have necessarily been that natural athlete, mm-hmm. but that one that was hungry and was coachable and was willing to work, not not just on the field or on the mat or wherever it was, but then off too. Being able, um, well, obviously being eligible was huge. Yeah. You know, but also being able to just study the sport, study, study, and really understand um, the other the other aspects of it instead mm-hmm. of just relying on their on their talent. And I think sometimes we would have um, athletes that were so gifted naturally that they never really understood the game mm-hmm. because they didn't have to at the younger levels, and they got into bad habits of of just. Um, 
of getting away with it with their talent. And yeah. and then you, you know you get sent to this camp and this club and different things like that. And all it does is reinforce bad habits, mm-hmm. and and they don't necessarily get um, have the, have the benefit of being hungry. Well, so one of the things that um, I think Fred's been great at, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. So he, you know, all basketball basketball players are like NASCAR now. Everybody has their, their own brand, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Even the basketball coach at, at uh, Toronto, when I, he came out for the interview afterward, he had a cap and had and, and he had logoed his name, Nick Nurse, right? Anyway, so Fred's thing is he um, he has this um, clothing line called Bet on Yourself. Okay. Right. And so there's a storefront downtown in Rockford, yeah, so you yeah. can go down and buy it at all times. It's it's available online. But that's his thing. It's bet on yourself. Mm-hmm. When he came out of Wichita State, um, there was standing offers. He could have gone to Europe mm-hmm. and made a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wanted to play in the NBA, and which would mean a lesser contract. Um, but he wanted to bet on himself. And so, you know, in my situation now, over the last three months, I'm like, okay, do I rush out mm-hmm. and just take whatever job's available? Right. Or do I finally, since I think I have an idea of something I can do long-term that more suits my, my talents and interests, really, yeah. uh, do I just be picky yeah. and wait? You know, and you know, so you sit there and you calculate, you know, how much money yeah. do you have, how yeah. much long, how yeah. long can yeah. it last, and stuff like that. And so I've, I've thought about Fred a lot because I'm trying to, at this point in my life, I'm trying to bet on myself, sure, yeah. and not just go take whatever job and, right. and because I think at this point in my life, I don't, you know, I don't want to be stuck in an office uh, right. reporting to somebody. I want to, you know, have the freedom to to develop my own thing and, yeah. and build it. Well, let's we'll come back to that, but mm-hmm. I, I because I think that's an interesting. I think it's a great point about this idea of betting on yourself, and and just so people have a little bit idea and understand, because I think so many times people, uh, you know, especially uh, you know younger listeners, and and I've had some feedback from younger listeners that. Um, they want to hear where you came from as mm-hmm. well, you know, because there's sometimes this impression that everyone, you know, just arrived. Yeah, and, they're they're 25 and they're yeah. <laughs> and 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 we in 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 bo- in both our cases that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know that that wasn't the case. We didn't just arrive. Yeah. And and so like you know you get involved with a newspaper, mm-hmm. and and you've had to over time. Um, recreate yourself and we've talked before on the show that um, about this idea of the hero's journey about you know there's this sense of order and then something happens and whatever that order is is also part of the story but then something happens or you stayed too long or whatever it may mm-hmm. be and now there's disorder now there's chaos mm-hmm. and then through that you have to find out things about yourself yeah. that maybe you were ignoring maybe you were shying away from maybe there's some insecurities that were popping up that, that kept you in that order before and maybe even kept you to stay there too long yeah well you know i i just turned 50 and i I shot a little video of myself on on my 50th birthday just because to me it wasn't so much i was turning 50 it was getting out of my 40s okay because my 40s were just long slog um if i look back at it 2007 pretty much everything was was about right um so I was assistant business editor. The paper was was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, the recession or the technology hadn't killed in journalism yet. Uh, so I had four people working under me, and, uh, all great people. I had one person um, who worked in they called them editorial assistants, but basically twenty hours a week worked with me. I'd built like a nationally 
uh, recognized data team because I just like to find numbers. And so that's going well, right? I'm, I'm living in a house in Loves Park, which I love. Uh, married, two kids. Um, just everything's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And then 2008, and I, you know, I'll still never know exactly why, but you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading. All of a sudden, 2008, things changed between me and my ex-wife. Just did. Like mm-hmm. from December to January, it just was like the new year. Something, something in her brain changed, and it, and it never got better. Was she the same? Or same age? I mean, uh, oh, she's two years younger than me. So she, but, you would have been forty she, at that time. Yeah, but been. she was she was approaching the, that fortieth level. Which ah. when you do a lot of the research, uh, marriages have two danger spots: years one through four, and oops, <laughs> shouldn't have done it, <laughs> right? Uh, and years ten through fourteen. Okay. And years 10 through 14 are um, getting close to 40. Kids are in school, so you don't need, you're not needed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to work together as much, yeah. right? Um, you know, maybe, you, maybe your house isn't wanted. And, and, and two-thirds of divorces are filed by women. Mm-hmm. And, and, n- and nothing to do with um, abuse or anything like that. It's just grass is greener theory. You mm-hmm. kind of hit 40 and you start re- you know, reevaluating your life. Sure. And, um, I, I don't know if that's it or not, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden in 2008, everything kind of changed. Okay. And so the last year and a half we were together was really tense because mm. I didn't, I kept trying different things to figure out how to get it back. And I, you know, I did the reading after I probably should have gone the other direction. I should have backed like way off. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but, but we freak out, right? Because we think we're going to yeah. lose something that we wanted and mm-hmm. we think is good. And so, well, the natural tendency is to move farther into it. Yeah. But. Reality Instead, is if you would have just backed off and, yeah. and let her figure out on her own. Yeah. But that's what fear does to us. Yes, and uh, and and a lot. In the, you know, we'll get back to that. So because just trying to like set the stage, and then of course, the 2008, the newspaper industry just yeah. no. We get a note: no more raises. They take away our 401k, and you know, all of a sudden, we start losing people. We had a layoff in 2010, 11, 12, and and I survived a lot of those layoffs. But all of a sudden, now my career is. I'm, I'm, I only know how to do one thing at that point. And, it, you know, I was on this arc of up, 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 and up. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, I'll just sit down and do the math. If I kept getting my 3% raises forever, I'd be making $85,000 a year. Sure. Not worried about anything. Um, anyway, so in 2009, Mother's Day of 2009, uh, we split up. Mm. That's why I, I do hate Mother's Day. <laughs> I will say, I think I put that out there. My mom's been gone for a long time, so I don't have anybody to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. And we split up on Mother's Day. So I hate Mother's Day. <laughs> um, so, you know, going through a divorce, at the same time, the newspaper industry is falling apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I turned 40 uh, right before we split up. And uh, so 40 to 49, it's just been, you know, a continual, how am I going to make this work Sure, kind yeah. of thing. And you have two girls, mm-hmm. and uh, and your oldest has done a lot of a lot of musicals and and uh, performances with my daughter. But right. and she's Emma's how old now? She's twenty. Twenty, and then your youngest is sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and and you know that's a lot of what goes. You know, a lot of what happened in my forties was just basically trying to keep maintain my influence and time with them. Yeah. Um, in in two thousand, so. I mean, first of all, you know, I fought hard to get as much time with them as possible. Sure, yeah. Uh, didn't get exactly 50-50, but oh well. I, I, I got quite a bit. I, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time, a lot more time with my daughters than a lot of 
divorced men get to. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of those sob stories. Mm-hmm. So that was always my number one priority was maintaining my relationship with them. So in 2014, when the newspaper finally got around to letting me go, um, you know, I got, let's see, I got, I got job offers, or at least not offers, but saying, hey, we are looking for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, we think you'd be great from Nebraska, Florida, Indianapolis, Arizona, Cincinnati, which is like would have been, you know, when I got into journalism, my dream job was eventually end up in Cincinnati. I actually had met somebody in journalism, uh, and he, you know, he emailed me and said, I heard, I heard the Register Star let you go. We need a business writer in Cincinnati, and I turned it down. Because? Because it's five and a half hours away from my daughters. Yeah, it's and, not a go. And nobody, I was going to raise my daughters. Yeah. That's some other guy. Yeah. Well, and, and to miss out on those experiences mm-hmm. is just like, to me, it's unheard of. It's yeah. just not an option. But, you know, you hear about it all the time. I have a oh, friend yeah. who lives in Madison. His kids live in Byron, yeah. and it, it hurt It hurt his relationship with them. But his best job offer was, was Byron at, during the recession. I don't know, it was Madison during the recession. I understand it. Mm-hmm. I just know for me, mm-hmm. I, it was it was real important. I wanted, I wanted to experience. I, yes, mm-hmm. I agree. I wanted to be part of their lives and I wanted to influence them. All those things, but I wanted to experience mm-hmm. those those experiences. I wanted to see them. I wanted to experience those time periods when they were growing up. Yeah, and still do. So yeah. So then, 2014 was 2014 and 15, and a little bit of 16 was the darkest time. Mm. Really, really, especially, so 2014, September 2014, the, the newspaper finally lets me go. I'm still, you know, I'm not mad about it. They probably should have let me go a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once they stopped giving raises every year, that means you're making less money mm-hmm. when, you, when you factor in inflation and things like that. So I became very entrepreneurial. I started working all these different side jobs. So, and I, I always forget some of them. I've, I've worked over 35 running races for Lakeshore Athletic Services where you drive in every weekend and put up tents and barricades. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, really physical work. Um, I, I've been the lead scorekeeper for Jefferson basketball for 10 years. Uh, I now do Rock Valley stats. Um, I umpire now. That, that replaced Lakeshore Athletic Services. One winter, I worked the UPS night shift. That's a rough that was, job. <laughs> that was when I would leave the newspaper. This would be a Friday. This would be a typical Friday. I would leave the register star at 5. If I didn't have my daughters that weekend, I would then go to Jefferson to do a basketball game from 5.30 to 9.30. I'd go back to the register star, sleep in a chair downstairs for an hour and a half till I checked in at UPS and then work till 3 in the morning. That was my, that was my weekends for eight weeks because I was trying to make enough money to buy my daughter uh, a MacBook, you know, which mm-hmm. those are expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, just all these different things that I've done over the years. Gosh, I know I'm, I'm missing this. I donated plasma for five years. I still have the little, <laughs> I still got the little bump on the arm. It hasn't totally gone away because um, I didn't want to forget that one. You know, just little side jobs here and there. Um, but, you know, what, what that meant for the paper was I was salary. And they, you know, everybody was on salary. They just kept working more and more, yeah. 60 hours, 80 yeah. hours. I told them, I'm, no, I'm going to work my 37.5. Mm-hmm. Because if I work fifty hours or two, you pay me the same amount. Right. But if I work fifty hours here, and I don't umpire, then I'm out eighty bucks. Yeah. Right. And I need that eighty bucks. Yeah. So in the end, they let me go in 2014. Because they just needed, you know, dwindling staff. And yeah. I left. They had 100, 115 people. They're under ninety now. 
Mm. It's just getting to get small. Yeah. But so so now all of a sudden I've been doing that for 25 years, mm-hmm. off and on, different things. What are you going to do? I had lots of people in the community who were interested in me. But I kept losing out to people who had experience. Mm. I was always a second. I was everybody's second choice. <laughs> oh, we think you'd be great at this job, but this person has been in the actual banking industry for 20 years. Yeah, okay. I, mm-hmm. I lose. Um, I tried financial services for a year. Um, that was fun. I got my Series 7. I could sell you stocks, bonds, mutual funds. But that's really just a sales job. Mm-hmm. Anybody in this town who has money has has a financial advisor. So their their whole training was how do I convince you that me who just got a Series Seven is smarter than that guy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just not me. That's not honest. Sure. Right? right. And coming out of journalism, I I just couldn't. I can have a conversation with you all day about money, um, but I can't in the end ask you for a hundred thousand dollars. Just can't do it. Yeah. Just not me. Yeah. Uh, so that that one didn't work. Uh, that's when I started. Um, doing more and more work for this company downtown thanks to a, a person who's become a really good friend of mine uh, named Rob Davis. And that kind of, that's how I kind of reestablished myself. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was writing blog copy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing media uh, placement. Um, just little, little things that I picked up from the newspaper that, okay, my skills could work in this atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the end, it comes down to I, I'm better actually at meeting people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That was probably my number one success for that company was just getting that company known in the community right. through my past contacts and new contacts. Because right. I do like getting out and just talking to people. Right. Part of it when you when you ask questions for twenty five years, you know, you meet somebody new, you just you're just kinda curious, what do they do? And you right. just, you know, exactly. You, yeah. you ask questions, build the relationship. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, um and I know that there was a lot of things that during that year ish year plus that you were at that company there's a lot of good things that came out of that and a lot of new uh, opportunities and, and things that they did with that with that with yeah. their business and stuff like that so well let's take a step back though for for what you do and what you do is we shatter our silence the darkest time would have been toughest time for me was um i had talked to jeff farenwald about uh, trying to get in at United Technologies, which I think has changed its name twice since then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <merch>. It has. <laughs> and um, they had a program, very smart program, that Jeff Farinwell had set up. They were only hiring non-engineers and non-line workers if you were getting your MBA through Rockford University. Mm. So I had started getting my MBA earlier, uh, so I re-upped, you know, took some more classes, um, and then started interviewing with United Technologies. And I got hired either on June 23rd or June 24th, I believe it was 2015. Um, and it was great. Now, because that's going to pay me 50-some thousand a year, yeah. I can finish my MBA. When my MBA is done, then usually about, you know, technology just bumps you right up into the 70s. And I'm back to where I need to be. Right. So I'm supposed to go in and fill out my paperwork uh, the next week. But the lady who was gonna, I was going to do it with went on vacation. She emails me. She goes, I'm going to be on vacation until July third or something like that so you would just have you come in the week after fine no problem um then on july 1st i met my class at rockford university and there's a buzz in the class and i asked what's going on i said did you hear united technologies went through a hiring freeze nope i didn't hear that at all um so i emailed fairmall i said so united technologies on a hiring freeze uh, does that affect me he goes nope if you're already in the company you're good and so, so I thought it was good. But then I emailed the lady when she got back, and she's like, no, since we didn't do your paperwork, 
Hired on June 23rd, didn't do the paperwork because she went on vacation. I'm out. I'm not hired. I'm not part of the company. And so now I'm, you know, and I had quit my financial services job, which I hated, but at least they were paying me. Right, right. Right? Now I've quit, and you can't get unemployment when you quit. Right? So my unemployment's gone. I'm on a hiring freeze, and it's summer. Right? What am I going to do with myself? Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest time. I went on food stamps. Uh, my only income was umpiring. Mm. That was that was a you know that was a rough three months. My, my wiped out what was left of my four hundred one k from the paper. Um, you know the the girls are over a lot, and and this is this is a difference in perception, right? Versus my perception is you know I'm falling apart. I've got no direction in life. I've got no money. I'm on food stamps, right? Yeah. My youngest daughter's perception was that was a really fun summer because I was there every day, mm. did not going to work. Sure. You know, so we're riding bikes and taking walks and things like that. Okay. She actually really thinks that is a great a, summer. That's the highlight summer yeah. for her. <laughs> and I'm just like, that was, that was, that was easily the toughest summer of, of my life. Yeah. Uh, I started doing some work for that company, but it hadn't become yeah. steady yet. Um, you know, I ended up mid, mid July getting a job as a bank, ins- as a home inspector for mm-hmm. banks car, you know, houses going into a foreclosure sure yeah. that at least just filled my time i only yeah. made like twelve hundred dollars a month and i was in the car a lot but at least i had something to do right, right you know so that was that was the hardest part that was when you know the dark thoughts yeah. kind of hit you i you know i even thought about you know why am i still here right right in yeah. the end the only reason i i didn't act on any of that stuff was again nobody else is going to raise my daughters if i'm not there right then they've got different influences in their life yeah you know, yeah. You know so yeah, that was that was the roughest summer. You know, it's interesting when you talk about. I mean, the same reason that you didn't go to Cincinnati, the mm-hmm. same reason you didn't go and take those other job offers, mm-hmm. was that you wanted to be in your daughter's life. Right, and they weren't going to be able to come with me. Right. I would have taken the Cincinnati job in a second if they came with me. Right, and and for a multitude of reasons why that was going to be. Well, I mean, when, that, when when you're not, you know, there's there's when you're not together, when parents aren't together, yep. you know, you don't you can't have that united front. Right. Right, which is which is you know a big deal. Yeah. And I, my parents were divorced, mm-hmm. so I was easily able to play them off on each other. So I knew how that works. Sure, sure. Um, how old were you? How old were you when they divorced your parents? Thirteen. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, and and life is there's two different childhoods. Yeah. There's the childhood when they're together, and there's childhood when they're not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's the same for both. You know, my daughter was youngest was six, and the eldest was nine when we split up. And it's different. It's it's interesting how they've developed differently, yeah. because of that. Yeah. The oldest one, uh, since we were together longer, you know, we got her in the theater. Uh, we limited her screen time. You know, we you know there was always somebody there to watch her and, and mm-hmm. help her. And so she you know she did a lot of the, the she did a lot of plays and she's been more active. The younger one. So when we split up, you know, now all of a sudden I've got to work five or six jobs and mm-hmm. you know pay for child support and things like that. Um, and then her mom's a single mom for a while. Um, so TV and, and the phone becomes your babysitter. Sure. Yeah. Right? So she got a lot more free time to, and a lot less structured time. Sure. Yeah. Right? And so she never got into any kind of organized activities. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's bad. She's, you know, she's got tremendous drawing and writing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's much more introverted. Mm-hmm. Than, the, than the older one. It's just interesting to watch how they sure. develop differently because their circumstances yeah. changed. Yeah. And, and I think there is, I think I agree with you. That's, there is an element where, you know, 
it's it, obviously it's doable, right? Mm-hmm. A single parent can raise raise well, kids. Well, you just it's, wake up every day and make the best of it. Yeah, you just figure you figure out what you figure it out the best you can. Mm-hmm. But ideally, right? It's it's always easier and 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 a better product if you have a partner. Yeah, and well, and the, and the one is, you know, I I felt for a long time up until just the last year that I couldn't have rules. Mm-hmm. Because if you have rules and the kids don't like the rules, they just say, I'm going to go back to mom's, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you can't set some um, standards and boundaries right. that you can when it's two of you together, sure, right? Because there's an option. Yeah. And you don't want them to use that option, right? Right, And they know it. Well, and there's that element then you don't, you don't feel like you have any leverage, mm-hmm. you know, natural leverage. But you said that in the past year, things have... You, you've come to realize that maybe you can have some expectations? Well, so, well, the older one, it gets to a point where in her, in her life, you know, she's having relationships and things like that mm-hmm. and, and disappointments, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's a shiny new car when they're a kid, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. And then as life goes on, you start getting dings and dents sure. and things like that. And then that makes you think about things differently. Um, I look back at my dad now a lot differently having gone through a divorce yeah and uh, and admire him a lot more than i did you know i kind of i i spent a lot more time with my mom and i so i adopted my mom's viewpoint on things sure and now having gone through a divorce and you know there's two sides to a divorce there's the walk away spouse and there's the left behind spouse mm-hmm. and that's this wo- woman out of woodstock who has a a, a a divorce recovery site kind of term that right yeah. and and they see things way differently mm-hmm. you know the walk away spouse like, oh, just adjust things you know whatever right mm-hmm. it's just a new journey new path yeah right yeah. the left behind spouse whose life's been shattered who tried to you know save it yeah uh yeah that's that's easy for you to say right right and so you know now yes i look back on, on how my my dad handled things and i know how my mom treated my dad a lot differently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah, in the last year, last year, year and a half, I think my my oldest daughter's kind of seen how I handled things, and she gets it a little bit better now. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, sure. So, and then you know, you get to be twenty. You know, the late teens are tough for any parent, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> right? Well, and it, it's and especially in your case, mm-hmm. or not just in your case, but when you are that in that situation where uh, you know. Mom and dad are not together, mm-hmm. and and you want to be able. You have concerns about their choices, or or what choices they're not making, mm-hmm. and but then you also don't feel like um, how do I how do I intervene? I'm not you know, and then still hanging on to that idea that instead of it being the quality time that I do have with them, mm-hmm. I'm still uh, grieving over the lack of quantity time that I have always wanted with them. You know, you talk about fear, and one one of the things that I read and learned, I mean, to me, and correct me if you, if you think I'm wrong, anger dates back to you're scared of something. Mm-hmm. When you lose it and really get mad about something, it's because, in my case, uh, it dates back to something I'm afraid of. Sure, that's the initial impression. And, and, I've, and, I've, and at some point I've lost the ability to deal with it in the moment, and mm-hmm. so that I just lose my temper. Right. And so when it comes back to, like with me, uh, growing up, bounced around a lot as, as a kid, I always worried, you know, I dated later in life, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't have the nice hair, and, mm-hmm. you know, 
and stuff. <laughs> so it always felt like all my friends were going out with, with cheerleaders and, you know, as a basketball player, and all my friends were dating all the cheerleaders, and I wasn't. Sure, sure. So I just had this fear, like, what's wrong with me? Right, right. Like, I'm going to end up alone. Right. Right? And so after the split up and the divorce, that fear totally comes back. Yeah. Right, because when you get married, you're like, "Oh my God, somebody actually wants to spend the rest of your life with you." Right, you're like right. so. If you're I've been somebody, chosen, yes. Yeah. And then when when that stops, yep. So now you're you're that that, that rejection that, comes. You're back. that 13 year old who yep. you know who wasn't good enough. Right. I think you said second best. Yeah, second yeah. best, and and so all of a sudden that fear comes back, and yeah. so then and then now that person's dating somebody else. Yeah. Right. And now your daughters are spending 60 percent of their time living with some other guy. Right. And so now that fear comes, you know, creeps back in. So all the times I think I've blown up at my daughters, it came down to the fear of my ex-wife's right. Mm. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Right. She's better off. Mm-hmm. That's that kind of stuff. That's yeah. where that fear comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's learning to overcome that or let it go. Yeah. And at some point you get to a point where you just you've been through it enough and you, you, you recognize the signs. Yeah. And and why are you getting mad? Yeah. Okay, right. And you can catch yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know. So that's part of it. I'm not. You know. So the the 20 year old and I getting along a lot better now. Is it because all of a sudden she's 20 and she's a lot better? Yeah. Right. It's be, also because I. Part of it's because she's 20 and she's a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But part of it is I'm 50 and I'm letting some stuff go. Right. 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 Well, and and I think there is that element that we have to. We have to own our part of it, right? And and if our part of, you know, something something's happening, she, you know, she's doing something. You feel like you're out of control. If that goes back to that fear and that mm-hmm. fear that somehow this is a uh, an example of me not being good enough, or I'm going to lose more control, or my life's getting, you know, or whatever it may be. Like you said, that fear ends up being the underpinning and the driving mm-hmm. of a lot of of a lot. Yeah, yeah. Another another thing. I was doing. I was going to Heartland a lot. I'm not super religious, but I do like Heartland. Um, I always say, if you just take the Jesus part out of it, <laughs> the Bible's just really the how-to live book, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. But um, and they had a series Andy Stanley did out of Georgia. It's mm-hmm. called Living in the Land of Ur. Okay. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, I, I know so Andy means, Stanley's work. Well, okay. So, so you know, if you look at it, people in America are are, the, are all the top one percent. Sure. You know, we're yeah. just much richer than the rest yeah. of the world. But my neighbor might have a better house, oh, I a sure. newer car, prettier yeah. wife, yeah. smarter kid, yeah. right? Better job. Yeah. So we're always, even even if we're not doing, you know, even if we're doing really well, somebody else is doing better. Sure. And so now we got to chase that person. Yeah. Right. And then, and then once you catch that person, that's great. But now you got to chase the next person on the block. Yeah. And so I would listen to that over and over again because I think. I've always thought that uh, not being satisfied was, was one of my strengths. So I would get a job, and I was like, this is not perfect for me. And I'd, mm-hmm. I'd tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until I thought it was like the perfect job yeah. instead of just being satisfied with it. Right. But, and maybe that comes from sports. You're always trying to get a little bit better. Well, I definitely think there's an element regarding performance when it comes to sports, but I think also that's, that's the positive part, right? Mm-hmm. But then the wound part also may come back from what you had talked about originally, mm-hmm. not just you, but many of us, is that if we have an initial wound that happens early on in our life for whatever reasons, we, 
you assess, you know, something happens with parents or something happens with the parents with us or whatever, and we don't think we're matching up then, mm-hmm. then we're constantly going to be struggling with this idea of being content with wherever we're at because either one, it's going to get taken from us, or two, maybe um, it's not as good as the next Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones or the yeah. her piece, right? right. <clears throat> so, well, and, 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 and it, it was a struggle for parenting too because. Um, I would continue to push, right? Because you're supposed to, right? Aren't you supposed to help your kids be as good as possible and so it could do your homework, do this, sure, do that. Sure, if you yeah. do this, you can get to there. Yeah. Um, but how much of that is helping them versus your friend's kids are yeah. on the honor roll yeah. or your friend's kids are great yeah. athletes and you want yours to be better. Yeah, and that's, right? and, and that's a crazy part that ends up happening. And I think a lot of parents fall into that temptation mm-hmm. of their identity now is a result of their child's performance mm-hmm. or however their child is. And there's that temptation um, to then push or to... Um, uh, they, they were talking. Well, how, how, I can't remember. There's a new term that I, I had not heard before. That um, you know, you got the helicopter mom, right, mm-hmm. and the helicopter dad, or whatever. And then, oh, I know what it was. The lawnmower, the lawnmower parent. Okay. And I do. What's a lawnmower parent? And yeah. So that's the one who paves the way to make sure that their child has success. Yeah. So they get everything out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're literally in the jungle cutting things down mm-hmm. <laughs> so that the child doesn't have any struggles as they. Um, as they're navigating through the jungle. Which in the end, so then at some point in that kid's life, they're going to wonder if they were a success or they just followed the path that was laid out for them. And, and so there's, they either, they find out, mm-hmm. right, that, that the path that's been carved for them mm-hmm. was someone else's doing. Yeah. Or the wound may be, my parents didn't believe that I could carve out my own path. Yeah. And so, so what, what parents, they, they don't mean harm. I don't think they're really meaning harm. They are just, um, they're overcompensating for something in this way, and, and it ends up having a detriment for their kids. Mm-hmm. We have tons of kids right now, for a variety of different reasons, that um, higher levels of anxiety and depression than we've ever seen before. Now, maybe it's because we're doing a better job of what is anxiety and depression, and mm-hmm. kids are more willing to talk about it. Maybe that's it. Um, but I also think there's other things that kids aren't playing from eight o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night outside, and 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 figuring out how to play and do different things like that. It's 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 much more. It's it's maybe too directed and it's too. And so there's there's some concerns about. And it's too easy to compare. I mean, we didn't have Facebook growing up. Oh yeah, that's we only we only knew what our immediate group is doing. Yeah. Right. And now you know that living in the land of Earth, if you're you're age 19, 20, 21. And all the friends you went to high school with are at this great college or that great college. You have this great job or, or, or the lead of this, the lead of that. That's what you're th- – because that's all they're posting on their Facebook. Yep. You know, they're not posting the bad – nobody posts – very few people post the bad stuff. They post the great stuff. So if you're, if you're kind of lost or uh, not sure of yourself – and you go on Facebook, and you're like, oh, this, she's at Loyola. Look how great she's doing, and I'm yeah. here, right? It's, it's the, so it's living in the land of her exploding yeah. because you can now compare yourself with even more people. It used to be you're just competing with people on your block. Yeah. Now you're competing with uh, that person you played basketball against in high school who, oh, my God, he's a lawyer. Yeah. Where does he live? Ugh. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, I was a journalist, and my career fell apart. Well, you know, and I definitely think that is a, a big 
element of what's happening today, you know, there's great things about technology, great things about where our advances have been from that element and with social media, and those are all beneficial things. Um, but there's also a negative side, and, and part of this show is all about specifically listening to individual stories of people who have um, had st- <laughs> who struggled, who, who struggled, str- had struggles, right? right? So we we talk about this idea of um, you know your in your case, right? The order was you know you were working at the newspaper, everything yep. was going great. You know you were married, you had two children, you probably had one point yep. five dogs, you know the white picket fence and yep. all that, mm-hmm. and that order got. You got thrushed out of that, and you got thrown into this chaos yeah. and this disorder, mm-hmm. right? And and now a couple things. Now, one of the same things that caused you not to move, right, to Cincinnati was wanting to be in your daughter's life, mm-hmm. and then but they also ended up being a protective factor, so that when you were in those darkest places, mm-hmm. they were this like um, like a beacon of of light that. I, no matter how bad it is, I have to stay. Mm-hmm. Not only stay and not leave and move to Cincinnati or wherever, but I can't get succumbed by this darkness. Yeah, because I don't want someone else raising my kids. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. want to miss out on this experience. And that that protective factor is what helps people, um, even though it, it may at times feel like it's an obligation. But it's what it, it, it what grounds us to go. Yeah, I know that I'm in this extreme amount of pain, and I don't think I'm ever going to get out of it. But I have to figure out a way to dig myself out, mm-hmm. and um, and and I think that's a huge piece, and it's huge for us to be able to identify what those things are. Um, for some people, it's a it's a pet. For another person, it it may be an element um, of not their job, but of something greater than themselves that. Maybe they call it a career, or, mm-hmm. you know, or it's children, or family, or whatever it may be. Um, I want to, as you, as we slip into, of the lessons that you learned in that darkness, right? Of the things that you learned, it's then where we then move into what we call reorder, or or mm-hmm. we bring those what we've learned in the darkness, we bring back home, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think for you? from what you learned from being in those dark places, newspaper, divorce, can't find where you fit in, um, what have you learned about Alex that maybe previously you thought was true that isn't now? So, you know, in the end, every day you just got to wake up and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is that I enjoy... uh, almost the entrepreneurship side of things. Okay. Um, I've been really creative in when one door closes, another one opens. Mm-hmm. And, and when, you're, when you're working for the same company for 17 years and you just, you know, you're just making year by year and um, just trying to climb, climb the ladder, you don't imagine life outside of it. Life outside is scary. Right. So I, I think back to my daughters, the lessons that, that maybe I'm hoping they get from mm-hmm. this 10 years of, uh, you know, wandering around and, and trying to figure things out is that uh, there's just lots of different ways to live and make money. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not just one way. So their mom has worked at the same job. I got her that job back when she was 25. Mm-hmm. And she's been there, wow, gosh, she's been there almost 25 years now. Mm-hmm. And and as without a college degree, she makes probably over 80 grand. Wow. Uh, so they've lived 
with one per that person who goes up every day, mm-hmm. goes to the same job, puts up with all the stuff better than I could have, mm-hmm. um, and and is and, and we'll get the gold watch. Yep. You know, insurance industry for the most part is pretty solid, yep. and she's going to get the gold watch when she retires. On the flip side, the person who actually went to college has bounced from job to job to job in the last ten years, and just again trying to figure it out and um some years were better than others but mm-hmm. now after those 10 you know now we're finally to the point where i think i've figured out what my talents really could benefit an organization right and it's taken me maybe longer than it should have but i'm hoping that what they've learned is that um as long as you don't give up and you keep and you get out there you don't just curl up in a ball and, and hide yourself in you know your house. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just get out there and meet people and talk to people, the other opportunities opportunities just happen. Yeah. Right. If you just get out there and talk to people, opportunities happen. Yeah. And so if this didn't work, you know that's a disappointment. This might work. Yeah. Right. And eventually, as you're you're out there and you're learning and you're listening. And you, you start to trust yourself more. So mm-hmm. I trust myself a lot more now. Sure. Um, I've, I've turned down ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't chase as many little things now because I know it's not going to be fun and I'm mm-hmm. going to hate it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually you, 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 you hit on something that could be something big. Sure. And then and what I'm learning now is, or trying to learn is how to pursue it yeah. and not short circuit it and get scared and just take something safe. And so in the end, entrepreneurship, I yeah. guess, is what I've learned over the last 10 years, just waking up every day and figuring it out. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that you just were talking about regarding that element of discovering how to be an entrepreneur when you really may not. It sounds like all through throughout, you, you were looking for security and looking for a certain dollar amount or career amount yep. and looking for the certainty and the security that comes with that because then that would be your value. That would be what well, you're worth. A lot of it comes from parents, yeah. right? I've, I've read a lot. Malcolm Gladwell yeah. is a great author, and I love his, his statistical-based writing. And uh, he had a couple things on parenting. Um, you know, The most important thing you can do as a parent is put your kids in front of people of influence. Yeah. Because then they know when when they uh, have a problem or an issue, they'll be comfortable talking to somebody of influence to get them through that problem. Uh, uh, parents from poorer communities, they don't put they they're scared of people of influence, and so they never put their kids in front of people of influence. So when a hurdle hits them, they just throw their hands up. Yeah, yeah, you know, can't do anything. Instead of well, I'm just going to go to the top here and try to figure out a way. Um, oh, and a lot of it is, so my dad was a plant manager. Mm. And um, so I would go to the plant, and he had his office, and he had a secretary, mm. right? And he had a salary. And so to me, that's success. Sure, yeah. The, the corner office, the plant manager, that's success. Yeah. Not the business owner, because my dad wasn't a business owner. Right. And my mom was a small business owner, but she always struggled at it. But that, that was, so that was my, you know, that was my image of success. Yeah, that paradigm, up, yeah. Right? So getting away from that these last 10 years uh, and learning um, a different, you know, that, that it isn't all about the salary and, you know, the set amount of money and maybe next year you'll get 3% more or 5% more mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, maybe you can just go out and 
you know, figure your own way. Yeah. I've actually, as time gone, has gone on over these last 10 years, I've come to enjoy that part of it. Right. Um, so that was, that's, you know, a lot of it. So now when I talk to people, I say, I, I ask them what, they're at, where they, what their dad did for a living. Mm-hmm. Because you really, you know, you really, you start to see the patterns mm-hmm. that you really do learn by watching your parents. Yeah. It's not so much what parents say, it's what they do. Yeah. Kids watch what they do. Yeah. And, and I've tried to think about that as, as my kids are watching me. Yeah. There's there's definitely my dad was a maintenance electrician. He worked in factories and mm-hmm. his entire life. My mom, you know, helped out by working the school system, lunch lady and that type of thing. And um, very much so. So when I moved into the role of entrepreneur or business owner, um, it was uncharted territory. I had no I, I had constantly self doubts, constantly mm-hmm. um, it was unpaved, it was pioneering, it was unpaved territory. I wanna one of the things I wanna kinda wrap kind of wrap up a little bit here with is going back to what you talked earlier about Fred um, Van Vliet's uh, clothing line um, named um, Bet on Yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And and you talked about that, that you know, the, the story behind it is that Fred bet on himself and, and to go to the NBA. And that's at least the part of the story that, mm-hmm. you, that you're aware of regarding mm-hmm. that. And then you talked about how, um, for you, betting on yourself and what I'm hearing you say is that it's learning how to know what to say no to and then giving you opportunity for the right things to say yes to. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about that piece as, we're, as we get ready to wrap up, because that's the last stage of the hero's journey, is that what we learn about in the darkness as we're recreating ourselves, right, that we, you know, we bring those gifts in back into reorder. And you said earlier about... Um, well, essentially, how do I bet on myself regarding um, things? And yeah, so I've, I've felt trapped three times in my life. Okay. And, and I, so I recognize it now. I felt trapped the last four years as at the newspaper. Okay. I didn't, have, I didn't feel like I had the skills to go do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids were in Rockford, and they weren't going to go with me, so I couldn't leave and go just find a, a, you know, a paper in a more vibrant community that might not be dying as quickly. Um, and so I just put up with a lot of stuff uh, to, to just hang on by my fingernails, right? Mm-hmm. So that was trap number one. Well, that, actually, that's trap number two because I felt like I was trapped in a bad marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't. Especially when she had checked out. She had checked out. And, and I didn't want to lose the time with my kids. So mm-hmm. how do I, and, you know, so I, I felt trapped in both those situations. And in this last year with the company I was working with, uh, you know, I found out that they weren't growing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to ever be a great, huge company in multiple cities, and the amount of money I was making there was not going to go up. Mm-hmm. So I felt trapped again. So do I got to start going out and just making more money on the side, which is always a limited. You run out of hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a yeah, funny thing. So I was having breakfast with you, mm-hmm. and we were talking about your Shatter Our Silence, yeah. and, we, and we were meeting with Lynn Gibson, a former yeah. Hanamiga superintendent, yeah. uh, who I'd known for yeah, you know, I did a story on 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, after you left, we started talking. And she asked the question. She goes, do you like, do you like what you do? I said, well, I like it, but I don't love it. And I, I started talking about a project I'd done four years before mm-hmm. for Rockford School District. And I was like, that was a cool project. And I had looked up prominent graduates for mm-hmm. a marketing campaign. And I just, you know, I was like, I just feel like we shot too low. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, because after we found enough people, we stopped. Mm-hmm. But that should have been the beginning of 
a an alumni research and development project. Sure. Because if you look at it, Rockford uh, graduates 1,500 kids a year. If you look over the last 50 years, people aged 19 to 69, that's 75,000 Rockford public school graduates across the world mm-hmm. that they've never systematically tried to find and reach out to. And the tools are easier than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got LinkedIn, you've got Facebook, you've got Google. I mean, yeah. it's just a matter of having somebody sit down and do the work. Yeah. Um, and so as I was telling her, she said to me at the end, she goes, you know, if I still superintendent, I'd hire you. Mm-hmm. She goes, why are you messing around with this other job? You know, why not just do that? It's like, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. would just be a lot of fun. Yeah. But, you know, some people are just wired for different yep. things. Yep. I just think it's fun to look up stuff about old people and, uh, and, and, and just get them back involved. Yep. I, like over the weekend, I got an email from the district. A lady named Joan Phillips out of Florida. Her dad died. Joe Las Casas. This guy apparently was, you know, or she, 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 he told her he, he was a cross-country runner at West in the 50s. But they had no... They had no clips on them. Mm-hmm. So I got done uh, Friday night from umpiring, and, and instead of going out, I mm-hmm. headed home, got online, and found clips that found out he was a conference track champion. Okay. And he set a, a record at West. for, and, and I sent all this stuff to Joan Phillips, and now we're at, me and Joan Phillips are friends. Sure, sure. Right. But that's just, I like that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I emailed the district directly. And they, they were excited, and they brought me in for a meeting. And and now again now it's now I'm in that waiting game. Yeah. Right. So it's the waiting game of do I wait for that opportunity to develop or do I take something else? Now I've, I've interviewed at a couple other places, but what I what it's allowed me to finally do is I kind of know what yeah. I want to do long term. Yeah. And so now I'm not on Indeed saying I could do that job. I right. could do that job. Right. I could do that job. Now I'm on. Now I'm looking like, yeah, I could do that job, but I don't want to do that job, and or I don't want to work there. That you know, and I'm I'm being very picky about what my my opportunities are because I don't want to, I don't want to abandon what I think my my true path is. Right. Well, you know, a couple of things as you were just sharing that piece is Joseph Campbell talks about this idea of following your bliss, and mm-hmm. you know, we all the time talk about what what is that? What is your bliss? And I think it's a it, another way of it could be that thing that you're interested in, that thing that you're that you're curious about, the thing that you would do even if you don't get paid, even on mm-hmm. those Friday nights instead of going out, yeah. and you'll you'll do right, right? because of the, the sheer wanting to share it with someone else. Mm-hmm. And it just ends up being a friendship, a connection, whatever it may be. And so maybe, I guess, as I'm hearing you say that if that is what it feels like to you, mm-hmm. right, then that that direction is betting on yourself. That direction is, that's your thing. Where it ends up being maybe less relevant mm-hmm. than the fact of that idea, that project, that moving in that direction. As Lynn said, if she was working as a superintendent, and as we know, she's pretty well connected in the yeah. educational system, at least around here, um, it'll land where it's supposed to land. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe very well with this one. Mm-hmm. It's less about the outcome. It's more about continue to stay faithful to the journey. Yeah, and, you know, and, and again, you learn things over the years. So the last three years I've been running a thing called One Million Cups, which was it's small business owners and coming in every Wednesday and talking about their small their journey. Right, that that's a big part of it, and just learning, sitting there and listening about all the different paths that people take yeah. to get there. Um, so this time, you know, I'm not if 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 the things don't happen with 
uh, one, you know, district one. Yeah. There's thousands of public school districts. Yeah. So district two, three, four, five. Yeah. Six, seven, eight, nine. You yeah. know, so there's lots of opportunity, and that was, and that that comes from learning at one million cups because a lot of people fail, yeah. three, four, five, six times before they land upon the right idea. Yeah. Uh, so I look over the last ten years, I've had a few things that. Uh, I don't consider my last gig a failure at all because I learned so much and it got me three more years of spending a lot of time with my daughters. Um, And just because it didn't become my last thing doesn't mean it's a failure. Instead, I I, I learned a ton there about just, there's just so many different ways uh, to build a sustainable business. And, and, And you just have to have the willingness to, to, to fail because four years ago when, when, Five years ago, when the newspaper went away, uh, it took me two years to get back on my feet, and I started running out of money. And then, so the first thing that happened in April when my big contract ended was I panicked, mm-hmm. right? And, okay, maybe I'll do a route sales job. Sometimes I just pay money, yeah. right? But then I started to do the math. I said, well, wait a minute. I'm not really unemployed. I'm just employed doing other things. I mean, yeah. what's my, what's, you know, right now I'm, I can still grind out. 30 grand a year just umpiring sub teaching yeah and doing all my basketball stuff yeah yeah you know so okay i'm not i'm not out of money yeah. so i can last on this for a year yeah. year and a half yeah while i try to build this other thing yeah and if some other opportunity comes along because this this interview last week was with the hendrix foundation that would be a great job mm-hmm. and i would really be good at it so but i don't have to rush out and go do whatever yeah Right, yeah. I can I can wait. I've, I know I have the skills, and I, I recognize the opportunity. So now it's just a matter of not abandoning it out of fear. Yeah. Because in the end, that's it, right? Yeah. Fear. Yeah. Right. And this time, I'm not going to let fear uh, dictate uh, dictate my movements. And maybe it took me 50 years to do it. Some people it doesn't take nearly that long, but in my case, it took 50. Well, and <laughs> so. and unfortunately, because of how how it works and how we how we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the benefit of learning vicariously at times, but many, many times um, our stories, just like the movies, just like stories that we continue to retell, it's it's when we go into that disorder, when we go into that chaos and into that dark night of the soul is where we actually learn and are challenged to learn about ourselves. So as you get ready to wrap up, uh, Alex, you know I so appreciate you being on here because this is exactly what I want the journey to be about, is talking about how do individuals um, recreate themselves, how do individuals uh, persevere on the journey and being aware of the journey um, and be aware of where they're at themselves and the things that they have to face. But if there's anything that you um, would want to leave with, what would be what would be something you'd want to say? When you're angry, trace it back to why you're angry. What are you afraid of? Mm. So that, that's what I've learned. When I'm upset and I'm losing it, yeah. it's because I'm afraid of something. Mm. And what is it from your childhood or whatever? Yeah. That, that you're afraid of? Is it you're afraid of that you're unlovable, yeah. right? Um, or that you're not good enough? Okay. Because that, that in the end, that you'll catch yourself a lot of times. Because uh, once you've figured out what you're afraid of, then you can deal with it. Perfect. Alex, thank you. Um, 
as we're wrapping up today um, on the journey, I just wanted to, um, for anyone's listening, you know, this story that Alex was telling us today about recreating himself, and you know, he didn't ask to get thrown into the darkness um, at all, right? <laughs> at all. But um, but very much, it was about what did he do while he was there, and what did he learn about himself, and unpacking some of the things from um, earlier time periods and those impressions, and then some of the lies that w- that he was believing, and then most importantly he had some protective factors that he was aware of and that he wasn't going to succumb to the darkness so alex very much i appreciate you being here and being open um, with your journey and what you've learned about yourself Uh, thank you very much for um, being with us today and look forward to being with you next week